Una Mosca Bianca, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Italian for rare as a white fly, because it feels Ooh. like ra- races are rare these days. Uh, I don't know about you, but having one race and then waiting three weeks for the next one feels like an eternity. Uh, I'm Drew Scanlon, joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Yeah, especially considering that we waited months for that first race, like it just seems unusually cruel. It's like a form of uh, like like mind torture or something. But I'm doing good. Um, I had a bed. I spent two days in bed after getting my shot. So oh boy, I'm, uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling vaccinated. And uh, apparently, it's a real limited edition now because they've just pulled that one. So uh, I've got the I've got the real uh, collector's edition shit going through my veins right now. Don't pre-order vaccines. <laughs> uh also joining us rob zachney how are you rob uh not bad i actually might be getting my shot today uh looks oh. like an opportunity to get the uh moderna uh which just aesthetically i appreciate uh opened up for later this afternoon so uh none of that johnson and johnson swill for me <laughs> <laughs> and uh did drew get i uh, i have one half of the pfizer okay Crazy. Wow, we so got, we got just, the collector's edition for the major U.S. vaccines. <laughs> yeah, right. we're we're the whole, we're we're setting up the whole thing. Uh, yeah, it's like it feels like worlds apart from talking to my family in Europe, who are still months away from getting editing. So that's why, like, I I don't know. I feel weird about sharing it because, like, yeah, I I was very jealous seeing other people get it, and so totally. I I be strong, hang in there. Um, yeah, exactly. We're all fingers. Does, it is does. really frustrating to also see like these vaccines being like, oh, we need to slow our roll here for what still kind of look like really low incidences of blood clots compared to other stuff. It's it's a it's a whole weird thing, but it's just it's it's a very strange thing where it's like of all the moments to like slow roll something where it's like, whoa, hold on. These, yeah, especially uh, when the surge is kicking up here in the States. Yeah. It's kind of like. Let's no, just keep throwing logs on the fire, please. Yeah, I feel, I feel this like this rolling. is the per, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good in this situation. Since right, since yeah. perfect sailed long ago. Uh, well, times. if you are new to this perfect podcast, welcome. <laughs> and if you are new to Formula One itself, uh, we've got an episode just for you. We, our preseason primer episode assumes no prior F1 knowledge uh, and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go and listen to that, it's episode 137. Also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons uh, that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, uh, experiments with other racing series and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. Uh, What's been going on this month, Danny? Uh, we have the second episode of our Drive to Survive season review uh, for season three of the Netflix docu series, episodes four through seven. Is that right? We did one to three already, so that will be four, five, six. Sorry, four through six. We will be uh, reviewing this week. So uh, by the time this goes up, Bangers. it won't be up. Oh yeah, I, yeah. Good point. This might be the meaty center of the <laughs> uh, Drive to Survive sandwich. This. Uh, this season so get ready for that um and also i'll have a track walk of imola um up for the weekend it was supposed to be up already but i got uh the the sort of vaccine came in short notice so it kind of ruined the start of my week a bit um but uh that track is in a bunch of games including project cars too so um 
good opportunity to go in. Although I will say, and we'll get to it in the track walk, that Imola has changed a number of times over the past couple of years. So what version of the track they have um, will be different, no matter what, actually, because in fact, this year, there's a there's a bit of a change happening to the DRS as well. So we'll, we'll get into that. And of course, thank you to all of our incredible title sponsors, including Greg Salt, uh, Will Romph, Reagan, Jason Kelly, Jason Chadwick, Umberto Roca, Bailey Foot, Abdullah Al Thani, Sam G, Circuit Demon, and of course, the love of my life, Mariana. <laughs> Every week. Uh, all right. Well, uh, yes, as you mentioned, today we'll be discussing an upcoming race. How about that? Yes, please. Uh, so very excited. At, uh, at it, it is not. It is not called. What is it called? Emilio is it, is it, is it, Romagna, I think. The yeah, repu- yeah. Which is yeah. the region of sort of northern Italy that encompasses a lot of that area, the, the town right. of Imola, and the, the, the track is colloquially called Imola. Yeah, it's always had a bit of a weird one because it was called the San Marino Grand Prix, and as we learned last year, at least I learned last year, it was never actually held in San Marino. It was just close <laughs> to San Marino, so that's why it's now called this. I guess he never got that Super Bowl, did he? <laughs> Jesus. He was great in his But that's that so. second season, man. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, <clears throat> before we get to uh, that <laughs> lovely track, we've got some news, kind of a light news week. But uh, let's let's dive deep on some nerdy F1 topics. Uh, kick it off, Rob Zachney, with uh, some sprint race news. Yeah. So this has been one of the major proposed changes for F1 for a while. And the format that the sort of qualifying sprint race thing would take has been the subject of controversy for a while. Uh, there's been a lot of debate as to whether that should even be a thing that happens. Um, but do you want to reset like what what this would be replacing and how it would look? Because this is this is essentially messing up or changing what qualifying is right now to this. Yeah. So I mean, like. What they would be doing is, and it'll be experimental this year, so it's sort of a test format that they'd be running, but instead of a three-round qualifying uh, session, what you would have is a sprint race to, you would have a qualifying for a sprint race that sets the final starting grid for the race. Um, basically, it is a way to get another race in um it is a way to make the competition for race starting grid position a little more exciting uh in theory and maybe and we've talked about this before one of the arguments about why is f1 sometimes a bit processional is that because qualifying in its current format is so important um the cars are really designed not to excel in racing conditions, but in qualifying conditions. Uh, hmm. And the idea of one of the ideas of introducing a qualifying uh, race is that suddenly, if you want that good starting grid position, you kind of need to be able to overtake people uh, just to get it. And so this has been one of the proposals to sort of liven up the show and get in an extra race. And a lot of folks have been open to doing it. But one of the hurdles was that that's a lot of extra racing if you were to start doing it over the course of a season. But certainly, even if you were doing the test formats this year, um, it would still be extra wear and tear on the cars. And people wanted to make sure that there was a decent 
sort of settlement uh, to make sure this wasn't more of a burden or a problem uh, for the teams. So this seemed to be the sticking point, but it the word is this week uh, that that hurdle has largely been cleared. Autosport reported that there's an agreement in principle uh, that sort of hammered down a lot of the major issues. One sticking point was running an extra race was expensive. Teams wanted to be compensated uh, for doing that, but they also wanted the right to spend that money uh, in order to cover the costs of running the race, because F1 now has a much stricter cost camp cap. The figure being thrown around was a million dollars, um, and that was kind of a non-starter. There was some real disagreement about what the figure should be uh, up and down the grid. The agreement in terms comes to about like sounds like about five hundred thousand uh, dollars for every team for these three races uh, for each for each of these uh, races, and the cost cap will be lifted uh, to let them spend that money they're being given uh, to run these. And the other important uh, sort of cutout in the rules was that if you have a major shunt uh, and just like wreck your car in the sprint race, there is. Under normal circumstances in a normal race, the teams just kind of have to eat the cost and inconvenience of that and, like, eat the penalties for for putting in replacement parts. Uh, with the sprint races, it's there there is leeway about that as well with, like, extra payment uh, if a car gets messed up in a sprint race and right. uh, extra cost cap uh, room to help teams recover from anything that happens in a sprint race. So as of now, this, this means that the sprint qualifying uh, would mean there's there's three 100-kilometer Saturday races. They're targeting Silverstone, Monza, and Interlagos this year to see if the format works. Um and we will see how that goes. Uh, but Silverstone, Monza, and Interlagos. Yeah, I think we would consider because, like, it's talking about this coming up to Imola, which is a famously difficult track to overtake at. Which I would imagine anyone who qualifies first in the sprint race is probably going to hold on to that for the main event. Um, would all three of those tracks seem like good tracks for overtaking? Right. I would. I would say so. I think. I feel like Interlagos has gotten trickier. Um, mm. over the years, but yeah, I think by and large they're. You can, they're you can always punt Alexander Albon out of the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so I think those are probably very favorable uh, venues for for this format test. Right. Uh, I also suspect one reason they're chosen is that they are so well known that it'll be very easy for people to evaluate. Like, did I like this or not? And you can't really. You don't need to wonder if it's the circuit. Like you, you, we know how these circuits operate and the way they they impact the racing. So uh, they seem like good good test beds for it. One interesting element, I guess, is that it, you could also kind of see the argument that this could be a really good way of like I don't know increasing the value of a weekend ticket, like having a a race on the Saturday, of course. Um, and this means that there'll be if there's an F two race that week as well, that you're talking three races on a Saturday, right? But also none of those events suffer from having Saturday punters. So, um, you know, you can imagine how much better this might benefit. You know, some of the races that don't tend to get anyone on a Saturday, like like China, for instance, or, you know, thinking of maybe Bahrain maybe suffers from that as well. Uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it does seem like I, um, there's a long move, too. They want that three-day pass uh, to to get more valuable. Because I'm not sure yeah. 
if Quali would still be on Saturday or whether Friday now becomes Quali day. That was going to be my question. Yeah. Sure. I think. Yeah. Right. Because then I think I'm buying the pass. (laughs) Yeah. Day one qualifying, uh, day two sprint race, day three race race. And then your Taylor Swift concert on the after the race, right? Yeah. (laughs) I feel like if they're doing this, though, you know, they were they're sort of playing around that idea of two day race weekends, weren't they? Uh, to to try to it's true, yeah. Feels like th- that's yeah. totally incompatible inc- with yeah. this idea. Yeah. yeah, especially if you're already increasing the amount of, you know, the support race situation at the moment as well is very well. I guess F two is having less races or less race weekends, but it does seem like it's getting a little bit chunky in there. Although also they sometimes have stuff going on on the race weekends that are, you know, that they don't promote. Like they'll have those classic race car events or they'll have some you know supercars kind of flying around doing a you know a couple of laps or whatever so maybe that's just frees it up but i would worry about the the, the implications of crashing because if you you wouldn't want to bin your car on at least you've the overnight you know if, if you mess up your car during the sprint race but if you mess up during qualifying on a, on a two-day weekend and then you can't do the sprint race you know you're yeah, you're really I, in trouble. Are they? They're not giving out points for these sprint races, right? These are just for quali, is what they're thinking. I think so, but I can't. I feel. I feel like I've heard some proposals to award some points over it, but I'm not sure that that's the case for F1. Hmm. It's interesting. All right. It's. It's. Yeah. And we yeah, will see mo- it. Um, July 18th <clears throat> is uh the weekend. That weekend is uh, Silverstone, which is uh the first of the three. Oh, no. There will be um, some. There will be some points in play. Some, yeah, a few <laughs> as a treat <laughs> for being a good boy. Uh, well, from one proposed set of rules to another, uh, Dieter Rankin over at Race Fans has been talking with some of the folks who are deciding what the sport is going to look like from 2025 onward. Um. And I guess for some background, in February of this year, the F1 Commission, uh, which is basically the the teams and representatives from the FIA and F1, and I think like uh, like race promoters, it's a bunch all the all the bigwigs basically uh, met and uh, talked about 2025 and decided to push some changes meant for earlier uh, to 2025. So th- these are things like. 100% sustainable fuels was supposed to come in I think 2023. That's now all coming with 2025 uh, in, and along with um, changes to the car, changes to the engine. Um, we have our 2022 car changes, uh, which are largely aerodynamic. The cars are going to look different, and that's supposed to solve um, the issue of overtaking. Uh, but 2025 is supposed to modernize the sport um, and try to tick off five goals here. I'm going to quote from the article uh, to have in, in, to incorporate relevant and sustainable technologies to be attractive to motor manufacturers, uh, to be compatible with sustainable fuels, to be powerful and emotive in quotes, mm. uh, albeit at lower costs to attract incoming suppliers uh, and to be carbon neutral by 2030. Um, so that's 2022 is the the short jump and 2025 is the big one uh but Dieter Rankin talked to Nicholas Tombazis the FIA's single-seater technical director 
and uh, Pat Simmons, F1's chief technical officer, about what this actually means um, and where they kind of are at. Um, Rankin uh, surmises that we will maybe see the engine regulations first, and that might be as early as July 2022. Mm. Uh, and then the rest of the car will follow um, uh, by the end of that year. So um, talking about fuel first, they apparently tried a test uh, of stuff blended from bio waste ethanol, uh, quote, produced from second generation non-edible plants and wood-based tooling to increase its octane rating. Uh, Jesus, but apparently you're that- way better at Factorio than I am. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> um, that apparently uh, didn't really produce the results they were looking for, so they are going to uh, spend some more time. But the target is for the fuel to just be able to be dropped into internal combustion engines. Wow. Um, which I can kind of, yeah, and I can kind of see this as F1's um, next step for the the sport being the sort of beacon of technology in the age of uh, sustainability because like they can't go electric right now right right f1's not going to do that well, but uh, yeah. they can say like listen we're we're on the forefront of fuel research here there are a lot of internal combustion engines out there in the world if we can solve this drop-in fuel situation uh with synthetic fuel not um or with with biofuel stuff instead of uh dinosaur stuff uh then <laughs> that might be that might that might help uh, they're also introducing an emissions thing as well, and F one has never had an emissions regulation. Uh, this um, is like the deal with like particulate, uh, like matter coming off the cars. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it will still be combusting fuel, mm. um, but we, yeah, but they will have uh, an emissions uh, standard to hit. Um, yeah, Rob. No, I'm just like I think. So I think one of the other elements of this is it is a way to keep the major petro firms in the game and involved and yes. like because i mean they, like they desperately Read want some money. sort of sustainable uh drop-in fuel that like uh you know aramco is still producing gas for cars around the world it's just now e-fuel uh and it's yeah. it's carbon neutral i think the I mean, it's like it's a fine initiative for whatever, for whatever. I think one of the things that's going to be very interesting to follow here is that I think the pace of change is going to be shocking around uh, like carbon neutrality. Like I think I think people are going to be talking about like carbon negativity uh, in the next few years, yeah. and by the time they're like thinking about rolling out uh, some of these changes, like I think there will be a lot of pressure to get those internal combustion cars off the road uh entirely like i i just think the the pace of change is going to be kind of shocking and i do question you know in four years time or whatever whether this roadmap looks as relevant to where automotive tech is actually heading um and so like i like it's 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 a really interesting uh series of changes that they're proposing around this stuff but the fuel stuff in particular just strikes me as a we have a lot of stakeholders who can't quite face the music yet. And so we are going to continue to like pretend that like, no, we can, we can have our cake and we can also eat this e-fuel uh, too. Mm. <laughs> Which like, 
I th- I am one hundred percent okay with them doing that dance. Yeah, right? knowing, yeah, like knowing that, like ultimately, like uh, you know, I think we were chatting about this yesterday a little bit um, off air about just you know what our next cars will be probably in the next you know five years or two years or one year, right? That that pace of change is happening so fast but like the, the the great thing about advertising and marketing is that there's always this element of sort of like bullshit going on right yeah. so like if they're able to like ride that way for a little while and you know solve a problem that is perhaps not the mountain but is like an important you know side quest to uh sustainability and and trying to uh reverse the damage or at least mitigate the damage that humans have done to the planet then like go for it. I I I I forget. We were also talking. One of you guys was mentioning this yesterday about how like this, just the whole idea of F one being in any way relevant um, to the future of fuel. Full stop. Especially given that Formula E is you know come on leaps and bounds in the past couple of years and basically owns that corner of the conversation. Um, uh, that that is apparently attracting more money to the sport than it has mm-hmm. done in previous years, right? Which one of you guys said that yesterday? Yeah, I, was, uh, I think this does dovetail with that a little bit. Um, Autosport ran a story about, like, there is sort of a sponsorship boom in F1 right now uh, that hasn't been seen, the likes of which hasn't been seen in a while, uh, because now you've got a lot of, like, tech firms uh, and advanced engineering firms sort of getting their money into the sport. And... Part of the things driving that, according to a lot of like F1 marketing people, uh, a lot of team principals, is that F1, like 10 years ago, F1 was not seen as particularly cutting edge. Like, remember when they introduced Kurs, people were like, this is so far behind where hybrid tech is right now, it's ridiculous. Like, Formula One (laughs) is just not relevant to where cars are headed. Uh, Now it is, again. And the notion of F1 being a very tech-led automotive uh, like racing series has become very attractive, which is why all these cars are covered in like Oracle shit um, or, or Cognizant <laughs> or, or whoever. Um, now, I mean, also, like, who knows what, the, what we'll be saying about these tech companies in five, ten years' time. But at the moment, at least, it's like finally... F1 has replaced at long last uh, the people who used to be the backbone of the sport, auto equipment manufacturers and cigarette companies. Um, so this, you know, the, the, like the the change in etho- ethos in F1 has been good for the bottom line of the sport. And I think that some of these changes that are being proposed, uh, Drew, like some of them I found eye-popping. Like this is this is going to be an increasingly high-tech sport, and I can sort of see why people are getting excited about the innovations of it. I think the the notion that they're about to get away from the carbon, the carbon brakes um, kind of blew my mind too. Wow. Yeah, so there's there's a few more things here, um, but I do want to point out, Rob, that you absolutely nailed it in in this article from Dieter Rankin on race fans. Uh, there's a quote here. Saudi's Aramco oil company, which has become a major sponsor of the world championship last year, has made its considerable resources available for F1 to uh, for sustainable fuels research. So right. that's absolutely happening. Um, but yeah, back to what uh, Pat Simmons was saying. Uh, he basically says, well, I'll, I'll quote from another article here. <clears throat> um 
I want the same speed. I want roughly the same lap time. I want roughly the same acceleration. I want roughly the same braking capability. And I want roughly the same cornering capability. But when you are talking about changing the fuel here, there's a couple things that have that have follow on effects like everything in F1 on an F1 car is interconnected. Right. So um, basically what that is looking like is uh, number one to amp up the power of the hybrid power unit. So currently the um, it's producing about around 700. Uh, I'm sorry, 670 kilowatts. And they want to up that to 800 kilowatts. Um, and the thinking is that to get there, they'll have to recover more kinetic energy. They Ah. are still keeping the heat recovery as well, which has plagued F1 teams for since it was introduced. (laughs) Um, but to do that, we might be talking about four wheel drive. Oh, wild. Um, but, uh, according to, uh, Nicholas Tambazis, again, the FAA single seater director, uh, we could probably maintain similar 15,000 um, RPM as we have today. So probably noise levels would be similar uh, or slightly better. Um, but we are talking about using less fuel, uh, maybe even two thirds of the amount of fuel that is used. And uh, back to Pat Simmons, he says that um, to to do that, you need to lessen the drag of the car. These cars are currently very heavy and, and draggy. Um, and that leads you, he says, to active aerodynamics on the car. So this means changing the bodywork at different speeds. We already kind of do this with DRS. But if you imagine like the way that uh, an F-14's wing sweeps back um, or, uh, you know, when you're driving, I think a lot of super like road legal supercars pop up their rear spoilers um, when you get to a certain speed. Right. Things like that, which has not really been allowed in Formula One um until now and also uh what you mentioned rob um changing to ceramic brakes from carbon ones all uh, of these really on their own sound like large changes so it's yeah it's crazy to think like even just think like four-wheel drive like what implications does that have for traction well there was an interesting line in this where they're like we 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 don't want the cars to corner too well with the four-wheel drive. Uh, we don't want these things to be overly planted. Uh, so I think, again, it's going to be one of those interesting things where um, it's it's so strange when you compare, like, I think the history of F1 for, so for, you know, for a lot of what people regard as the golden age, it was just whatever it takes to build a faster car uh, within mm-hmm. some pretty loose regs, like, go for it. Uh, and now it's very much like, well, yes, we could design a car, a car, a car that like corners flat on rails around sh- like hard turns, but do we want to? And so the fact that like all these technical innovations are being contemplated with a uh, game design aspect of like where do we want the trade-offs to exist, I think is really interesting. The notion that they are walking—it sounds like they are walking away from the most advanced brake tech from the position of just bringing a car down as quickly as possible in terms of speed to a less aggressive, but less polluting uh, brake tech uh, is interesting to me. It's, it's a case. 
Yeah, and I, sorry, it, it also like, you know, restrictions breed innovation, right? Like creative restrictions are a really good thing, especially if you, and if you have like some of the smartest people, like smartest engineers and aerodynamicists and like in the world working on this stuff, like this is exactly like this is it just sounds really exciting. Like we're we're not going to have six-wheeled cars and fan cars and all that sort of stuff, but like you know, just that idea that that is happening again is in and of it on its own is is super exciting yeah it's it's wild you think about like how the cars looked five you know six seven years ago and they look and feel very different but it seems like the next couple of years it's just gonna continue like at an accelerated pace well who knows the 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 other thing to say about these news stories is always once we get you know, you, you shoot for the moon, right? And then you, you, sometimes you don't get all the way there. So who knows how far that get? But, you know, all this stuff sounds cool. And a lot of the time when they talk about the future of F1, there's a bit more trepidation, you know, like o- over the years with some of the stuff they brought in. But I don't know, a lot of this sounds super interesting. Just to yeah, shake it and, up. And I, I have so much more faith in, in these people um, who are in F1 now to to produce something that is right. interesting to watch because like that was always kind of the fear with whatever Bernie Eccleston would say like are you are you just like glad handing with people and telling uh, you know people with money what they want to hear and, uh, and then just kind of shrug when it comes to the racing um, but it seems like um, I don't know I could I could be totally fallen for it here but I feel like I, I feel much more confident in in the sport retaining uh, watchability after this stuff and it, it, the article even points out like um pat simmons drew parallels with the uh, world endurance championship which has it allows four-wheel drive but only at certain speeds so like there are ways to balance this stuff that wow. it's not like all or nothing so yeah i'm, I'm um, with you i think yeah. by and large the cast of characters who run f1 feel like a more progressive and forward-looking group of people and like they're more on top of these things uh at the same time i think the the biggest change that's going to be helpful in this area is just that Auto manufacturers have abandoned the position of like ignoring or denying the realities of like climate yeah. change and emissions. And so now that you have like Ferrari is on board with like vehicle electrification, uh, Porsche is Porsche is a leader in that right now. So like in the supercar end of things, like people have catching up to do in terms of what the future like performance uh, dream cars are going to be so i think the, one of the real beneficial things here is that yeah there's a lot of the right reasons to do this stuff but then also i think a lot of the people who make these cars uh and fundamentally look at f1 as a chance to like build the brand and prove the brand uh it's it's got to now speak to the cars that people are going to be buying in the next few years and those are not <laughs> Those are not V6 internal combustion turbo uh, cars, probably. Yeah. Well, from the people who are uh, outside the car to those that are inside it, Danny, we got some driver, some driver news. Yeah, I got the I got the super fun uh, light stories of the of the news cycle here. Uh, first of all, everyone's favorite drop in drop out driver, Nico Hulkenberg, <laughs> is back in as uh, Alpha. Uh, uh, is wait, he sustainable? Uh, uh, Nico Hulkenberg is, is incredibly sustainable. He never goes away. A renewable resource. Flipped upside down <laughs> in his last race. Um, yeah, he's back in as uh, Aston Martin's. Uh, sorry, Aston Martin's 
reserve driver this year. Uh, this report coming from Autosport.com after losing his full, uh, his last full-time drive at Renault at the end of the 2019 season. Hulkenberg took part in three events for the Aston team that was then known as Racing Point during the last campaign uh, on the occasions when its regular drivers were unable to race after contracting COVID-19. Maybe you've heard of it. Hulkenberg entered the two races at Silverstone in place of Sergio Perez after he tested positive for COVID. Um, Although Hulkenberg did not end up uh, starting that race after he bolted in the car's clutch sheared ahead of the start. Yeah, massive bummer. Uh, But he would go on to take seventh from a sensational third on the grid in the subsequent 70th anniversary GP, which also took place at Silverstone. Uh, Then he stood in for Lance Stroll at the Eiffel GP after the Canadian felt unwell during practice. Uh, He was also only diagnosed with COVID after leaving the event at Nürburgring and Hulkenberg finished eight uh, after only taking part in qualifying and the race. Yeah, he had to jump in super last minute for that. Um, a quote from Nico here. First of all, it's great to get this deal signed up with plenty of notice. Last year, I didn't have quite as much time to prepare before jumping <laughs> in the car. Obviously, I'm hoping that Sebastian and Lance enjoy uninterrupted seasons this year, but the team knows I can rely or it can rely on me to step in and to do an excellent job. And I'm fully prepared to take on that challenge. So, yeah, wasn't yeah. he like having coffee in Cologne? And then got a call like, hey, we need you in the car and just hopped on a plane. Oh, it's yeah. so cool. Just the coolest thing. Yeah. What a dude. Yeah, I like, yeah, I, I I, don't think there's many people out there who don't have a soft spot for Nico Hulkenberg. And it was really nice to see him last year, actually. It was one of the yeah. sort of, um, you know, it's never good when one of the drivers gets COVID, but at least it was a bit of a silver lining to that particularly dark uh, cloud when we got to see him on track again. Um, off track, uh, the driver, he may be, uh, replacing at some stage this year if Seb gets bored of racing uh, he may get back to his second love which apparently is farming uh, this story also <laughs> coming from autosport.com uh, Vettel apparently spent part of the lockdown shutdown doing an internship in organic farming uh, Vettel has previously spoken about his interest in nature and farming and was uh, unveiled as an ambassador for the bio ben and apfel initiative this week that looks into protecting habitats for insects there was a great video of him on german television playing around with a knitted wasp i think or bee or something <laughs> um i didn't understand what he was saying because it was in deutsch but I, I there was a bee jumping on a plant so it looked like it had something to do with pollination uh, quote here from seb since i had more time than i actually planned i thought about what i could do and what interests me Aston Martin driver Vettel explained, revealing that he moved to learn more practical farming skills. That's what interested me. At some point, you realize that not every vegetable is the same. Not every apple has the same nutrients. And then you ask, why? Uh, Then you realize very quickly where the apple comes from and how it has grown. And that's how the door opened for me. This is so pure. There you go. I know. (laughs) Sebastian Vettel, his uh, nature nature walk has, has begun. Seb as a person like has this upward trajectory and it's like yes. it feels like Seb as driver like the two crossed at some point <laughs> yeah. where it's like eh, le- less good driver undeniably but also <laughs> seems like a guy increasingly like engaged with the world in positive ways uh so I'm <laughs> like Seb getting an insect biomass preservation. Hell yeah. Like, that's one of the coolest things you can be into. That's nerdy as hell and uh, super, super important. Um, yeah, I, I'm i I'm all for it. Um, <laughs> I, did you see Dieter Rankin uh, went on a podcast this week basically just saying he's like, 
Seb should have quit. <laughs> oh, really? Just a kind of a pot-stirring interview, but like Helmut Marco has been saying similar things, uh, where it's just like there's a lot of people I think who like Seb who just are concerned that like he doesn't look like he has the stuff as much anymore. And I do I do see stories like this, and uh, like if we are in the in the twilight days of his career, um, I think he's one he's he's become one of those drivers. Where I'm actually really interested in what his second act would be. Yeah, he's got how many? He's got a, he has a bunch of kids, right? I Two think. or three? Does he have three daughters? Is he no? That's who's that? Grosjean has three kids. We did this. We did this whole thing. I remember <laughs> during the off season where we just we listed who had. Who I has will children. say this. Um, I've gotten into because none of the F one drivers have like real Twitter presences, but they all have Instagram presences. I've been using Instagram more. Uh, yeah. I had not totally internalized the degree to which Kimi Raikkonen has become a wife guy. Oh, really? Like, he has two flavors of post on his Instagram. One is an, a, a basically a repost from the Alfa Romeo like PR team of like okay, him just yeah. looking racy and epic as he gets into a car <laughs> or like walking down a hallway. And then the other flavor of Kimi Raikkonen post is just like a picture of his wife and kids and like, I love you to the end, my queen. And awesome. it's just like, love it. those are the only two modes of Kimi Raikkonen these days. Oh, yeah, you're totally right. Look at this. Yeah. Look, I love that. I remember seeing that Christmas one where they're all just like in Christmas sweaters together. It's just birthday parties, him kissing his wife. Yeah. What a, what a dude. It makes sense. He's like, that's, that's what he says in his interview. Like all he cares about is going home to his family. (laughs) Yeah. And driving a car around. Yeah. He did have a pretty, if I recall correctly, he had a pretty good sponsored post by Samsung or something. Uh, which is okay. just him staring blankly. It looks like he's taking a selfie, but you can see the phone in it. He's just sort of staring blankly, and the <laughs> caption says something like "Samsung phone." Yeah, oh, mate. Yes. And the weird thing is, probably a, a smart social media like promoter was like, "No, this is this is how you do an ad with Kimi Räikkönen." Yeah. yeah, this is what the people want. Just have him blankly. Did you see that? There's a, a on the F1 YouTube channel. They have like a new series where they, you know, ask drivers questions, and they clearly all shot them all at the same time. Um, all these questions that they're going to trickle out for the rest of the season. But uh, at the start, they did the quintessential: have everyone clap for the 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 audio sync, and everyone's clapping, and they're clapping like multiple times, and they're ruining it, and all this. And then it cuts to Kimmy, and he's like, "Yeah, it's. I think that's your job. It's not really my job to do that." <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. I'm Brand. Amazing. Uh, all right. Well, from the news to the track, Danny, tell us about Emilia Romagna. Emilia Romagna, previously known as the uh, San Marino Grand Prix, now the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix, a region of beautiful northern Italy in the Appian Mountains, um, beside the village of Imola, which is, or city, I should say, which is uh, kind of what uh, colloquially we refer to it as uh, Emila has been around a long time. It was kind of a stalwart of the 80s, 90s. Um, it is uh, has an unfortunate association with the tragic passing of Ayrton Senna. Uh, there is a um, a bust, a sort of memorial to his honor uh, there, I believe, somewhere around Variante Bassa, I think. Um, Do you know if there's one for... Um Ratzenberger, I don't know if there is actually. That's a good point. And thank you for reminding me too often. um, I and many others uh, forget about the uh, horrific crash of of Ratzenberger also lost his life earlier in that weekend. And of course, we're very lucky to still have Rubens Barrichello after his unbelievably 
crazy bad crash uh, that week too. Um, the track has had changes as a result of um, at least the uh, Senna crash. Um, the Tambrillo corner, which was the opening corner of the lap after the, the star finish straight, uh, has been turned into a chicane. It is now Variante Tambrello, uh, which encompasses turns two, three, and four. Uh, but one of the major changes that's uh, not happened to this track is it hasn't really gotten any wider. And as F1 cars have continued to get wide, uh, it has caused a bit of a problem. Um, it wasn't part of the calendar for the longest time. It returned last year as a sort of a pinch hitter for the uh, 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 struck calendar, which was really struggling to get races on it. Um, and they brought it back this year again. Uh, I, perhaps, I, I guess it's it's popular with people. I think the changes they've made to the track have made it better, perhaps. And they've also tried to make more changes to it this year. Um, I think it's just kind of a nostalgic track as well. A lot of people remember, like, Schumacher era of battles here. Um, the you know, fans in Italy for motorsport are ravenous for races. So I think it, it's also, I feel like this was, the, was this the first track last year where they had like proper fans? I remember because it was late in the season last year. It was like October or November where they brought this in. And I think that was when we started seeing, maybe they brought in 10,000 fans or something. That's that's what I'm remembering. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it's full of like iconic corners, most of which we won't see any, overtaking on so like Akim Minerale actually I think that's where the Senna bust is um I mostly remember that last year from where George Russell accidentally binned it during a safety car oh um, right you'd also get lots of safety cars here too which unfortunately was the reason why Hamilton ended up winning the race last year um the uh let me talk, talk about what's being changed actually before I kind of exp- remind everyone of last year so the DRS zone on this is on a start finish straight, which is kind of essentially the only straight, and it's, I use the term straight loosely here on this part of the track, which has any chance of getting um, somebody an overtake on DRS. Uh, they've made it longer. So it used to the DRS detection zone used to be on a start finish straight. It is now before the pit lane. Um, that already is faster because they shaved off a final turn that used to be there last year. So last year there was a kind of like Melbourne, there was a tight right-hander right before the start finish straight. So imagine if they cut off the last two corners on Melbourne, it just went straight. That's kind of what they did last year, where they got rid of a little um, kink that was in the track before, just to give it a bit more. So now that the arrest zone is earlier, and the detection point is now before turn 17, not 18. Um, So, which will help drivers to then set up their attack basically on the next turn which should hopefully give them enough chance to overtake um last year the biggest problem was that um so hamilton uh qualified second but uh botas i'm going to pronounce his name properly this year right botas valtteri botas 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 um valtteri qualified in pole position and he had a good lead in front of Hamilton he got uh his he pitted early he got out he had a gap of about 27 seconds I think the gap here is like 26 25 or something for a pit stop to hold position um and then somebody crashed there was a bunch of crashes last year I think we got three safety cars um and under safety car Hamilton pits comes out in first and round and round they go um this year will be different. So Red Bull were really tasty here last year. If you look at their uh, start, the ending 
uh, situation, they didn't do too well because Albon was last and Vettel didn't finish. But Vettel was incredibly fast around here, of course, because the rebels are speedy around high-speed corners and there's not that many outright straights on here, which failed Mercedes. Sorry, um, Verstappen, my bad. Okay. Um, so he was he was super fast, but then he had a, a tire blow just randomly. I think it was around turn 14 or something. Um, so he was out of the race. And then Albon, in a interesting piece of track battling now, given what happened since, um, was nipped after a safety car restart by Sergio Perez and then got on the throttle a little bit too hastily and ended up spinning himself, putting himself from, I believe he was in seventh position, to plumb last so he finished behind um everyone except the four or five cars that didn't finish last year it was a lot of retirements last year so really what's important this week is qualifying track position in mla is going to be essential is essential to this but even given that max verstappen managed to uh he actually he came sec he was second when he crashed he actually got uh botas to make a big mistake he went wide on one of the turns and and uh under pressure from Verstappen and, and ended up um Verstappen overtaking him into one of the turns that wasn't a DRS straight so the, the uh Red Bulls are going to be really fast on this track it definitely favors them uh but ultimately what's most important is um track position so it should be interesting last year unforced errors and just an unlucky puncture stopped them from dominating um or from doing scoring well in the race. I think if they have a clean race this weekend and they qualify as well as we think they will, um, we could be looking at uh, two Red Bulls on the podium. We should uh, wait and see. Cool. Well, speaking of qualifying, it looks to be uh, kind of a chilly one. 56 degrees Fahrenheit or 13 Celsius Hmm. on qualifying day. Bit of a cloudy day with a 23% chance of precipitation. Ooh. Uh, That increases to 54% on race day. Wow. And the temperatures uh, are about the same. Um, Wind also could be a factor. Qualifying day looks to be about 19 kilometers an hour or 12 miles per hour. Uh, A bit slower on race day, but as we've said in the past, uh, Williams certainly has been pretty forthright in saying that uh, their car is heavily affected by wind, and some have surmised that uh, that implies that maybe other um, Mercedes-powered cars uh, with that low rake and um, you know uh, uh, design have had to uh, adjust their aerodynamics to uh, to suit that. So right. be on the lookout uh, in driver standings. Uh, we, after one race, have Lewis Hamilton on top with 25 points, Max Verstappen just behind with 18, Valtteri Bottas has 16, and Lando Norris with 12, Sergio Perez with 10, Charles Leclerc with 8, Daniel Ricciardo with 6, Carlos Sainz with 4, Yuki Tsunoda with 2, Lance Stroll with 1, and then behind them we have Kimi Raikkonen, Antonio Giovinazzi, uh, Esteban Ocon, George Russell, Sebastian Vettel, Mick Schumacher, Pierre Gasly, Nicholas Latifi, uh, and, oh my gosh, Two were not classified, so they don't even appear on this list. It's Mazepin <laughs> and who else went out that race? <laughs> the other guy. Hey, at least the other guy did more than three corners or two and a half. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway. We'll see. Um, that's the drivers uh, in terms of teams. 
Uh, Mercedes is on top of 41, Red Bull with 28, McLaren with 18, Ferrari has 12, Alpha Tauri with two, Aston Martin with one, and then we've got Alpha Romeo, Alpine, Williams, and Haas with zero. Ooh. Uh, you can also join our Fantasy League by clicking the link in the show notes using that code. Uh, and you can hit us up on the emails, Danny. Yes, you sure can. You can go to f1.cool slash emails or hit us up, shiftf1podcast at gmail.com. Uh, this first one, Rob, you want to read this one from Arlo in Manila? Yeah, uh, Arlo writes, hey, y'all, I've had this thought for a while now, and while the dramatic finish to the Bahrain Grand Prix was fun to watch, I couldn't help but wonder why so many tracks that F1 runs on have start finishes that were always located near or on the exit of the final corner, which made me curious why you'd want to eliminate the chance of a dramatic drag race to the line. Watching Bahrain, it sort of bothered me that the start-finish line is so close to the last corner, especially given how exciting watching those cars zoom through the... How exciting it is watching those cars zoom down the straight. I don't believe Max was in position to open DRS, but it would have been fun to see Max and Lewis make a race for the fin- for the first of the line. Do you all have any insight on why this is? Uh, yeah, I think it's partly... I think to a degree there's some weird conventions that probably, for the health of like track design, could be scuttled, but they're just not doing it. Uh, the start finish line is basically always by two things, uh, gasoline alley and the podium. And so the idea is that the start finish straight and the seating around there and particularly around the line is ideally supposed to be your prime viewing location. It's where they're going to fill the stands and it's the equivalent of the 50 yard line seat, uh, or center court, Mm -hmm. uh, seat in f in f1 uh and so you want to give people a good show there and i think one reason you tend to not do that at sort of the peak speed of the uh of the straight is that if i'm paying for that seat i want to see the cars and so there's an interest in slowing them down i suspect so that you see them accelerate rather than seeing them just go sailing past you as a blur uh but it does lead, I agree, to kind of an awkward thing where you don't see a race to the finish line uh, because just because of where that finish line is located by custom. It seems like an easy solution as to, like, you could probably place it elsewhere uh, on the start-finish straight and uh, sort of cr- preserve the viewing experience with prime seats. Uh, but nevertheless, they they generally don't. I do think, um, like, it doesn't bother me quite as much. Uh, usually, by the time you have that, that last go-around, people have their best shot at it. Um, and to an extent, like, that last corner, uh, you know, you're either in your position to, to get that kill or, or not. But, yeah, it would be cool on some of these tracks uh, to see, rather than see the winner come around that corner and immediately, like, zoom over to the pit wall for the like taking of the flag. I think there've been a lot of races where it probably would have been pretty cool to see both guys get on the gas and just like take one last flyer. Yeah. The only, the, 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 I'm trying to think of any circuits where they are a little bit further down. I guess Monaco is a little bit further down, but of course that's where the, do you ever, do you ever see the, the clip of, uh, is it Bjorn Verdheim who was the formula 3000 driver who slowed down to, 
it was actually Christian Horner was the team principal for whatever team that was. Was it Jordan? I forget which where he was before. Where he slowed down at the end of the race to wave to his team, but didn't realize that the star finish streak wasn't there yet. Oh, no. He ended up losing the race. Oh, yeah. No. yeah, it's like one of the most embarrassing. It's great. If you want to watch Christian Horner's face just like completely like drop, it's a, a pretty good clip to to go check out. Um, I'm trying to think of what other words. I guess um, another one that feels like it's a little bit racy near the end is... Um, uh, now Imola is stuck on my head. I can't remember the name of the regular Imola's Italian a good Grand Prix. Call. Monza? Uh, Imola, uh, Monza. Monza, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Monza, right? Monza has a bit of a... Maybe it's because you're coming out at a parabolica with a bit of speed, where that one feels like it's a little bit racier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a great answer, Rob. I totally agree. I think it has a lot to do with that. I don't um, think it's the same, though, for all racing series, though, because uh, watching MotoGP, there are a lot of to-the-line yeah, passes. Yeah, totally. You're so, right, yeah. I think it all depends on the acceleration of your of your machine. Did you watch the any of the MotoGP the opening stuff? I did. Yes, it's very good. Okay. Well, yeah, we can't <laughs> spoil anything, <laughs> but it's been good. Did you watch yeah. the Formula E? Any of that stuff over the weekend? I watched. I fell asleep to the first Rome race. <laughs> okay. It was great. Oh, um, napping to racing is just the best. There's two races. There was a really crazy crash in practice where. They were all doing their start finish or their starting tests at the start of practice, the race start tests. And who was it that just plowed into the back of? Was it Turvey? Yeah, Oliver Turvey, was it? Yeah. Crazy crash, really dangerous stuff. So yeah. they sort out whatever happened there. Uh, Drew, you want to take this next one uh, from Mariana? Yes, Mariana writes, hi guys, listening to episode 141 where you're talking about uh, extreme e eco speeds and square rig ships and thought this might be my only chance to plug the sail GP. Sail. Uh, sail. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of overlap between fans of F1 and fans of sailing. Uh, so I figured I might as well pass it along. Uh, yeah, you could call fans of sailing um, people that own yachts. So that, that, that tracks. Totally. Uh, it's the speed and the excitement of Formula One, but on the water, using only the wind. The sailboats can hit speeds of up to 60 miles an hour, slow by F1 standards, ludicru ludicrously fast by sailing standards, uh, using some of the most well-engineered, technologically advanced boats ever built. The next season starts at the end of April and could be another fun thing for folks to check out in between races. Uh, some good links to videos of the boats, boats in action. Uh, and then Mariana links cheers and thanks for everything i'll post these links in the show notes but um yeah the certainly the website uh has a real racing thing going on <laughs> yeah, it does um yeah april 24th 25th they kick off in bermuda whoa fucking playing with fire there guys <laughs> the whole yeah. race has disappeared um yeah let's see. oh there's some good the f50 catamaran uh 49.2 feet or 15 meters long uh 29 feet beam parentheses width um or 8.8 meters wow 78.7 feet tall that is a big wing 2.4 tons 60 miles an hour uh five crew this is cool. These things are always like when I see these things that they're kind of mind blowing because I think the weird thing is the realization that now the idea is to lift the boat out of the water as much as humanly possible. Um, right. It's such a weird. It's such a weird thing. 
Yeah. You, have you seen uh, Tenet? No. Yes. It, it has maybe, I mean, Christopher Nolan likes to cram in votes at any given opportunity, <laughs> but it has maybe one of the most contrived catamaran scenes I've ever seen in my life. Sweet. I don't even remember that. It's very strange. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, yes, maybe I do. We, yeah, right. <laughs> maybe we should, uh, this could be a, a contender for one of our patron exclusive podcasts, maybe checking in on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the America's Cup came to yeah, San Francisco. A few years ago and i tried to get into it and it was really hard to watch from like a broadcast perspective like i couldn't figure out how to do it and then when you did the commentary was bad or like they didn't show like they there was no way to really understand what was going on um so hopefully sail gp has cracked that in some way that was um, that was also the first time i realized how dangerous the sport is because i think they had a they had a fatality yes one they of did. the english crew or something got caught underneath the boat when it tipped something yeah. yeah absolutely tragic which make given the speed and the how the boats are operating like, it's like anything right it's like you watch formula one over and over and over again you get used to how safe it is and then something like the grosjean crash happens and suddenly it all you realize oh yeah this even given yeah all of this technology these people are really putting themselves on the line yeah crazy stuff um yeah last email here from marek who uh, writes in, Hi guys, here's a question. You were talking about F2 this week. That was last week. And uh, I've been wondering, is there a driver who went back to Formula 2 after competing in Formula 1? Love the podcast. Uh, So I did some research on this. The only one that came to mind for me was Grosjean, who had a little stint in F1 um, early in his tenure um, and then lost the seat and went back. Um, There was a provision, and it's changed a little bit. Um, The other only driver that came up in my various Googling uh, was Roberto Mary, who would have been maybe, is that 10 years ago? He was like a catering driver, um, who also went back. But uh, I did some sleuthing and found a Reddit post which uh, enlightened me a little bit to how exactly this works. Uh, The commenter, sorry, I don't have their name here, or poster says, uh, previously in 2017 and 18 season, there was a provision in the F2 sporting regulations which stipulated that any driver previously won a GP2 series or FIA Formula 2 championship or any driver who completed in a full season in the FIA Formula 1 World Championship will not be permitted to enter the championship. So if you won Formula 2, or as it was previously known, GP2, or you competed in a full F1 season, you could not enter the championship. But in 2019, this paragraph was replaced, simply reading, no winner of a GP2 series or Formula FIA Formula 2 championship, it's the same thing, may participate in two successive championships. Hmm. So that's interesting. If you win F2, you got to go. Yeah, interestingly, W Series just implemented that rule. Oh, they did. So, so you yeah, couldn't... any any future champion uh, cannot return. So Jamie Chadwick will be the only one to do that. Interesting. Well, what's interesting about this as well is that it doesn't necessarily say that you can never return. It just says you can't participate in two successive championships. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I th- well, the- there. Uh, Merrick's question may be about that specific instance of like a full season but there are certainly occasions where they bring up a formula two driver to do like one race or one practice session or something and then they go back down to formula two in in the case of last year jack aitken filled in when george russell went to mercedes for one race um and then is back in formula two yeah i think that 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 seems to be relatively common i'm trying to remember 
where was it with Renault? I think he was Grosjean was back in twenty two thousand nine. Um, Lotus. He was it. I'm talking about F one. Yeah, for Grosjean was it okay? Well, what I think this is before. Lotus. Lotus was 2012 was when he started oh. at Lotus. So I think he, no, so this is a couple of years earlier. He had a small stint at, uh, he took over PK's seat. Oh, after Crashgate. That's what happened. That's crazy. Ah. God, that feels like, that feels like years ago at this stage. So I guess he filled in for the rest of that season and then went back to GP2. And what season did he win at gp2 oh no he'd, he'd already been in gp2 before that so he'd, he'd he leapfrogged it he went gp2 to f1 back to gp2 back to f1 so he wow. broke numerous rules that probably <laughs> exist today um but yeah uh, i you know we have tended to see drivers go to different premiere well there's like formula a, e now exactly that so seems to the, be where the egress know, valve that's where the Stoffel Vandorms of this world are now <laughs> competing for races. Right. Um, but yeah, thanks for the email, Mark. It's uh, shiftf1podcast at gmail.com. Send your emails. Send them in. Or f1.cool slash emails. Yeah. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter at shiftf1podcast. Uh, I'm at Drew Scanlon. at Daniel Dwyer. At Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world? It's race around the world. Yeah. We've got Camping World Trucks at the Richmond Speedway for the Toyota Care 250 Toyota uh, Care. this weekend. Is that healthcare Toyota for Care. cars? Probably. It, it is, and it's awful. Uh, <laughs> supercars are at the, uh, ooh, I don't know how to pronounce that, Beer, Beer, Beer Paris Tasmania Super Sprint Race. What uh, happened to your voice? It's here. You you pronounce that word. Bure is this butter? Bure prairies. Bure prairies. Oh my god! They're the Simmons Plane Raceway for the yeah. Tasmania Super Sprint. Bio repairs. Uh, yeah, is oh, that really bow repair? I think it's bow repair. What is that a word? Is that a word people know? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> what, it sounds like good repair. repair. It does. Right? It does. Good repair. Bow repair. Uh, MotoGP is in Portugal. I mean, it's a tire and repair chain. It doesn't. But if I type Bo repairs dude. into Google Translate, it does not seem to want to give me an answer. Bo repairs so. an Australian New Zealand tire retailing repair chain started in 1922 by Frank Bo repair. There you go. Okay, somebody down under a name uh, you can trust. Tell us. By the way, I think oh, I, I mentioned one of the GP2 drivers was uh, I did the cardinal sin of saying one of the New Zealand <laughs> GP2 drivers was uh, was Australian. So sorry, oh, no. to our, sorry to our friends down on that. Uh, Indy cars at Barber Motorsports Park for the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. Bar bar, big fans of elephants down there. <laughs> Republican Jeez. and otherwise. Uh, and we got NASCAR. Oh my. They're also at the Richmond Speedway for the Toyota Owners 400. Not, uh, not, not very, usually we get a lot of long names for NASCAR races. Uh, not so much this weekend. However, the official name 
for this weekend's Formula One race is Formula One Pirelli Grand Primo del Made in Italy El del Emilia Romana 2021. Awesome. Put it on a t-shirt. Oh, no. I went to the whatever that is and all I got was this t-shirt and there's no space left. Gotta go. <laughs> hey, I just yes. should interject uh, a quick update here. Uh, my brief uh-huh. flirtation with NASCAR might be over again. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, I watched the, the, uh, the race this weekend at um, oh, Martinsville? God. Martinsville, yeah. Oh, it sucked. Oh, I hated it. It was just <laughs> like... It was like watching... They they basically did... They created gridlock. And then, like, like, oh, tempers tend to flare at Martinsville. And it's like, yes, because your drivers have road rage now. Because, <laughs> like, there is no room to race at this garbage track. Um, I gave up after, like, an hour of, like, trying to watch this race. And it felt like full course yellows after every two and a half minutes of racing it just sucked oh no was this the paperclip is yeah. that what you called it last week yeah which I, it turns out i bought into the marketing that, that marketing was kind of leaning into the fact that like this circuit sucks and tempers flare <laughs> there's tons of accidents and the racing gets fierce all that was true except the part about the racing getting fierce it was like the, the racing got chippy it didn't get good amazing uh formula one race times we have for this friday april 16th free practice one starts at 5 a.m eastern mm. time uh whew, that is 2 a.m pacific rough that brutal uh but that <laughs> is on espn2 if you want to watch that uh practice two same day at 8 30 a.m eastern uh, on espnu for you and me the following day Saturday, April 17th uh, at 5 a.m. is practice three on ESPN2, followed by qualifying at 8 a.m. on ESPN2 also. And then the race, everyone, Sunday, April 18th at 9 a.m. on ESPN regular. Am I reading that right? Mm. Wow. Yeah, I it's am. 9 a.m. There's no NFL on. (laughs) That's right. What is there a Padres game? Maybe. Well, no, Eastern. So I thought you said a Padres game. Padres game. Yeah. Now we're Padresing. I I actually think uh, Alejandro Agag, the um, CEO or the creator of Formula E and Extreme E, want like he has stated that he wanted Extreme E to be pod racing like that was literally the inspiration that's funny that's good just have children do yeah. it only desert races that what he wants wait no i guess there was the, the video game probably had more than desert racing oh right? yeah there was an ice level of course there was it was wizard oh god oh god uh that's it <laughs> wrap it up final thoughts danny it was wizard that's <laughs> <laughs> rob zackney need to get off this call now <laughs> if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow. Yeah.